Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Friday Paper, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernell Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Let's start off with our first guest, Andy Moore, executive director of Let's Fix This. Andy, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So give us a, a before we start chatting about uh, voting and elections and all that fun stuff, give us a picture of what is Let's Fix This for folks who aren't familiar. Sure. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization that really focuses on uh, civic education and civic engagement, um, particularly with adults, although we certainly try to you know bring in youth voices as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I often joke that that we are trying to reteach Oklahomans all the lessons about government and civics that we've probably learned, you know, in eighth grade or ninth grade, but we have long since forgotten. <laughs> and now that we're all grown up, we realize that this stuff definitely matters. Yes. And and people want to be involved, just um, often need the, the tools or the know-how. So um, let's start. Let's start talking about, in what, in my opinion, is the most critical part of civic engagement: voting. Um, today is the registration deadline. If you want to participate in the primaries, um, why? Can you tell us a little bit about primaries? Why is it important to engage in the primaries and not just in November? Right. Yeah. November gets all the press, um, mm-hmm. but the primary elections are incredibly important uh, because. Our electoral system is divided between the two political parties. Uh, and so the, the primary election is designed to enable those parties to, to pick their candidates that will go on the ballot in November. Well, you know, in a, in a state like Oklahoma, and this really applies to most states, a lot of the, the races are decided in the primary. Mm. You know, for example, if you have two or three or even, you know, four candidates of one party that are running for a seat, but no one from the other party runs, well, then that seat election um, by, by who votes in, in that, that election. Um, and Oklahoma has closed primaries, which I'm, as I grew up in Arkansas, which has open primaries. And when I got here, I was like, wait, what? What happens? <laughs> what happens if there is nobody running from my voter registration party? Then what? Um, there yeah. are quite a few that are going to be decided, like a couple dozen, right in the primaries. Right. Yeah, I think something like forty seats were basically automatically reelected because nobody filed to run in yeah. those seats. Yeah. Um, and here in the election, yeah, I think there's a couple dozen seats where there are. You know, maybe two or three candidates from one party, but no one from the other party that filed. And so only members of that party will be the ones to pick. And this is, you know, one of the obvious critiques of having a closed primary system. In Oklahoma, the Democratic Party allows independent or unaffiliated voters to vote in their primary. The Republican, so essentially only Republicans can vote in the Republican primary. And then Democrats and independents can vote in the Democratic primary. And, and 
Go ahead. No, so that so that specifically, there is still, I think I was just chatting with um, a member the other day who's registered independent and was turned away at her polling place last time when the, in the last primary um, because they said, well, you're not a registered Democrat. You can't vote in the Democratic primary. So what happens when people when what happens when people come up against that misinformation? What should they do? Yeah. So if yeah, so if you are at your polling place and you have any question about your county election board, um, they've got extra staff on election days, you know, staffed up to answer those kinds of calls. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it's hard work to run an election. I mean, there are thousands yeah. of polling places across the state. Um, and while we hope that every poll worker is you know, totally up to date on what the rules are and, and sure. how things are supposed to happen, questions do come up. And it's, sure. it's okay to call your county election board or your state election board. Um, let's talk about, so voting this time, um, we've heard from members, uh, you know, we were just asking our members about voting absentee and, um, we've heard from several members who plan to vote absentee and then people who do plan to vote at the polls. Um, but absentee is going to look a little different this time. Yes. So there's, uh, some special provisions for, I think maybe just for June, they, they likely will not apply to November. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know the, the way it normally happens is still in place. You can go online and request an absentee ballot. Um, it'll be mailed to you, and then you complete. And then normally you have to have it notarized, and you can mail it back in. Mm-hmm. For the June election, if you don't um, want to leave your house in order to have your ballot notarized, you have the option of including a a copy of your ID, uh, which can be your state ID, your driver's license, your tribal ID, or even a copy of your voter ID card itself. Mm. Um, if you mail that back in with it, then it will be a, a valid form of, of identification. Um, have you been hearing anything about um, what in-person voting is going to look like um, for the primaries? Have about our, our social distancing or masks or any of that kind of stuff? I um, we're still a ways out. I haven't but... heard anything specifically. Yeah, I imagine that. I mean, in my mind, it's they may have little arrows on the floor or mm-hmm. things like you see at the store right yeah. now. Um, but I, you know, I certainly encourage people to take the precautions you would take when you go to the store, um, mm-hmm. not just for you, but for other people there. You know, most of our poll workers are older adults um, who we know are at higher risk, uh, and so. Even you know, even if you don't feel sick, you might you might be a carrier and you just don't know it. So just wear a mask for that ten minutes that you're in the polling place. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're talking to people very much anyway. Right. <laughs> so yeah. you can kind of get in and get your ballot and get out. So what are the timelines for, um, you know, registering to vote, uh, absentee ballot, and and all of that? Yeah. So. Um, today, uh, June fifth is the deadline to register to vote for the June election. Get on it, people! So if if, if you, you aren't registered, aren't registered by today, <laughs> get it done. <laughs> right, that's right. Um, if you send in your registration next week, you will still be registered, but you won't be able to vote in June. You'll have to wait until August, uh, the next runoff election. Mm. So, yeah. So today's the the deadline to register to vote. Um, and then the deadline to request an absentee ballot is not for a couple of weeks. Um, I want to say June 23rd. Like around the, 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's it would make me nervous. That's just awfully about close. a week. Yeah. Mm. It's kind yeah. of close to get it turned in, make sure they got it, and get your ballot back in order to get it back in. It makes me nervous. Right. What? Yeah. Um, so for the notary requirement, um, I I read that people um, you can't charge people for a notary when it comes to ballots. Um, is that true? Yes, that's true. They there's a provision in the law that prevents any notary from from charging to notarize a ballot. Good. So just a heads up on that. We have lots of members who have on their own gone ahead and gotten their notary, and they're just posting on Facebook, "Hey, I'm going to be here. If you need something notarized, come by and see me." You know, I just I just heard about uh, professional educators of Norman are kind of working on getting a little group together so that their members can come and get notaries mm-hmm. and you know know that know who it is and everything. Yeah, we have several notaries at at OEA, uh, but we're closed. <laughs> but if we so, were open. But if we were open. Um, so there was some news that came out today about um, the bankers helping out as well. Do you know anything about that, Andy? Yeah, so the, the Oklahoma Bankers Association, the Credit Union Association, and the Community Bankers Association um, all had a joint press release today with the State Election Board basically you know, reaffirming that they are offering free notarization, which they have to by law. Um, <laughs> although sometimes banks will only notarize stuff for their customers or, or members. Oh, okay. But this it sounds like it's like just anybody can come through any bank. That's awesome. Uh, and we will notarize your ballot for you. And also, if you don't want to get it notarized, you could uh, have them make a copy of your ID for you. That is awesome. I don't awesome. know why you do that or the other, but... Uh, and also libraries. Um, if libraries are open, they have said that they will make free copies of your ID for you as well, if, you, if you're using it for um, yeah. electoral purposes. That That's is awesome. That is really good news. It sounds like a lot of people are coming together to make sure people aren't. I mean, it's you know, right now it's it's an intimidating time to go in public. Yeah. Um, it really is. And I think another thing that's really important to this is that, um, you know, many of us, um, might be registering to and uh, maybe voting absentee for the first time. Mm. And that yeah. means you got to use the mail and not everybody has stamps at home like we used to. Right. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so a, a, a standard ballot takes two stamps. However, the oh. post office has publicly said that they will ensure that they deliver ballots, even if there's not enough postage on there. So as I think we all know the post office is, is struggling a little bit financially. And yeah. so if you've got two stamps, you might go ahead and um, or go buy some <laughs> to help them out. Right. But uh, but if you don't, rest assured that your ballot will be delivered anyway. That's really good to know. I didn't know about the two stamps. I didn't either. And I've sent in an absentee ballot I have two. <laughs> oh, no. My apologies, U.S. Postal uh, Service. Yes. I'll go buy some stamps to make up for it now. Um <laughs> Beyond uh, the absentee ballot issue and and voter registration, what is Let's Fix This's next project? Yeah, so I think, you know, this year and any election year, we are really focused on trying to get people uh, registered to vote and make sure that they have the information they need to vote. Now, this year has been exceptional, not in good ways, but in a lot of different ways. And... um, (laughs) And so, you know, there's one big state question on the ballot, but 
we usually do some kind of voter guide about state questions. Mm-hmm. Just with one, that's a pretty easy task, and it's <laughs> Medicaid expansion, and I know that OEA members are, are aware of that. Yes. Um, and so as we kind of prepare for the rest of the year, we are looking at, you know, helping people know that, well, for one, there's a runoff election in August, mm-hmm. um, and then that the general election is in November. There will be a at least one state question on that ballot that was referred by the legislature that's about the the tobacco sediment endowment trust and so there's i'm sure that's a thing that's a little below the radar for a lot of voters and so we'll be talking about that um and then the the big news for us really is happened last week last friday um, we held a virtual civics convention called civics con and i just got all the videos uploaded to our Facebook page uh, and to our YouTube channel uh, for that. And we had just kind of educational panel discussions about, you know, independent redistricting and gerrymandering about open mm-hmm. primaries and ranked choice voting, voter registration, vote by mail, kind of all of these topics, mm-hmm. um, how to run for office. Uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff that, that I know a lot of um, your listeners are interested in. Yes. Uh, and so people can find that uh, on, you can go to civicscon.com. It has all the videos on there. Awesome. And uh, we also have a, a cool feature that I've been working on this morning that I've called it a, a virtual poster session. Uh, you know, at a big conference or convention, you often have like a exhibit hall and, the academics who have done research or been working in the field have little posters they've made and they'll mm-hmm. present on those. So in that spirit, we have taken videos from regular folks. You know, a lot of them are students, actually, mm-hmm. um, who have been working in civics, um, who have done some kind of civic engagement, whether it's youth in government or it's, you know, helping out in their community and done little quick videos where they kind of tell their story about why civic engagement is so important That's awesome. uh, and, and any lessons that they've learned they want to pass on to other people. Uh, so we've got, uh, I think, about 15 of those that I've, that I've posted so far, and we'd love to have people submit there so we can add it to the library. That's awesome. That is neat. Well, um, thank you so much, Andy, for joining us, and thank you for the work you do to get Oklahomans engaged. It is so important. So, Andy, if somebody wanted to um, get more information about Let's Fix This, where would they go? Yeah, you can go to letsfixthisok.org. That's our website. And then you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at Let's Fix This OK on each of those. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Sure. Thank you. Now we're going to visit with two members of the OEA Human and Civil Rights Committee. Uh, Sharika Cole, a first grade teacher from Muskogee. Good morning, Sharika. Good morning, everyone. And then Don Brown, a kindergarten teacher from Norman. Good morning, Don. Good morning. Um, so, Alicia, give us a little bit of background about what the Human and Civil Rights Committee does for OEA. And then we'll, we will visit with uh, Sharika and Don. Yeah, so the Human and Civil Rights Committee is a vital part of the Oklahoma Education Association. Uh, of course, all of our committees, we have 16 standing committees, mm-hmm. um, are made up with members across the state. And um, the Human and Civil Rights Committee has 15 charges. That means wow. they have a list of 15 things that, that they are working on uh, every year. So utilizing information from ethnic minority rosters, to uh, 
get strategies together and plans together to engage minority members, mm-hmm. um, emphasizing increased number uh, increased member awareness of human and civil rights, emphasizing the rights of students and school employees, increasing participation at all levels of the association, promoting and reviewing nominations and recommendations to the board of directors uh, for recipients of human and civil rights awards. We've got several awards that we that are related to human and civil rights that we give out. Mm-hmm. Um, expansion of our uh, potential contact uh, content for our conferences, uh, including human and civil rights materials, um, creating materials to help teach, and report on best practices for teaching human and civil rights issues in the classroom. And also, we it's very important for us to be introspective and look at our own documents and our own um, policies here at the OEA. And so the uh, Human and Civil Rights Committee reviews those documents to make sure that we do not have ethnic and minority bias in our documents and then recommends changes. They also recommend activities that OEA should get involved in um, like marches and um, and coalitions and other programs. Great. Well, let's, um, we'll start with you guys. Well, Sharika, let's ask you, um, why do you think it's important? Why, why does OEA need a human and civil rights committee? Why is this important work? Um, you know, I, one of the things I kind of thought about um, when I'm thinking of, you know, and why, you know, I decided to be on the committee, um, it was, it's just about change. You know, the, the Human and Civil Rights Committee um, is, is very forward thinking. And, you know, we, we work to kind of establish like a safe place for the members um, of that committee so that we could have the conversation mm-hmm. about how to address certain injustices with um, our members and then how to bring about some change. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it's a powerful space mm-hmm. um, to think about how, how we can just, you know, just implement the change that needs to be done that helps, you know, our brown and our black children, mm-hmm. you know, be successful. So, Dawn, why was it important for you to be involved? This was something new for me. Um, I have, as I've gotten older, I have gotten more vocal mm-hmm. in my beliefs and the inequality that I see. And so when Alicia called me and asked me to be on this board, I just thought it was a great progression. Mm-hmm. Because, as I said, I'm very vocal in what in the inequalities that I see in color as well as the LGBTQ community. So this just seemed like a perfect progression for me. That you know, it, human and civil rights is a vital part of our organization. We have three resolutions about it: um, protecting uh, human and civil rights and elimination of discriminatory statutes and practices that limit the rights of the individual. Um, And there's a lot going on in the world today uh, for our students, especially. So Sharika, what, what keeps you up at night? Uh, There's a lot of things that keep me up at night. 
but when I look about when I look at it from a um, educator's perspective, um, it it's caused me to take a really good look at um, my lessons that I have and how can I make sure that I'm addressing um, the need for my children to have a good working relationship with me because mm-hmm. I'm, you know, like, like you say, that's again, I'm a first grade teacher. And so a lot of times those, those, uh, those early childhood years are where those biases are formed mm-hmm. are where, you know, those social justice things can be addressed and to kind of create some character, you know, in my students, that would allow them, you know, to see others from a different perspective. And so um, I think what, what really worries me is that um, I need to make sure that I am a safe person for mm-hmm. not just my students, but also for the other educators in my building. You know, mm-hmm. there have been times when I've been the only black teacher on a white staff. Wow. And um, I've heard people um, use the N word in the teachers' lounge. What? And then, and then say oh. to me, "Oh, but you're not." Oh my word! That's not you. We're I... talking about somebody else. Mm-mm. And it's like, but I am. And so, if my if my co-teachers um, are, you know, alerted to maybe some of the practices they have. Um, then that's where the change happens. If I can, you know, if I can help in those areas. And so that's what keeps me up. And I'm, I'm worried, but I'm hopeful because, you know, educators make the world go round. So I'm, I'm, yeah. So a little anxious about some things. I, that is a lot. Um, Thank, thank you for sharing that truth, Sharika. Yes. Well, when you think about, when you think everything, Dawn, when you hear everything that Sharika just said, um, yes. how, how do you think that, how, do you, how does public education play a role in systemic change? Because all of those, I mean, all of those things that Sharika just mentioned, those are systemic problems. How, how can we create systemic change in a school environment? That's... A good question, because I work at, a, as I said, at a Title I school mm-hmm. in central Oklahoma, and I see the difference between the east side schools versus the west side schools, mm-hmm. and the west side schools having more than we do. Mm-hmm. And it's const- and I'm constantly bringing up to my administration, hey, they the other side of the town schools didn't have to beg and plead for an assist a class size assistant mm. or we need this the other side of the, the other side of town has these things why don't we mm-hmm. and it's i think it's going to take everybody noticing those inequalities and being able to speak up mm-hmm. and i see I see I'm beginning to see that at our school and it's it bothers me that more people don't see the difference and, and they think oh everybody in this town has those has, every school has exactly the same things yeah. no we don't how, how can we change 
not just those policies, but our teaching practices. What do we need to do with curriculum to help um, to help stem that issue? Like I'm, I'm thinking, well, you know, uh, my own daughter uh, was in uh, uh, pre-AP Oklahoma history, and they were learning about the Trail of Tears and how um, after the Trail of Tears, uh, one tribal nation assimilated better uh, because they sent their children to boarding schools. Mm. And that's not the reality. Their children were stolen and sent to boarding schools and, you know, not allowed to practice their culture. But that is being still perpetuated in, in some history classes. What do we need to do better as educators with curriculum? I think with curriculum, uh, we need to think about um, making sure that certain um, books and resources and things are in our standards, Mm. because that's something that governs, you know, our public schools um, as far as like in the classroom, what we teach. And so um, I know that human and civil rights was involved in um, getting um, the uh, Tulsa race riot um, added to um, curriculum, um, you know, through the OEA. Um, and so that, of course, you know, will eventually play into, you know, making sure that those past objectives are in place for um, the state. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know exactly where that process is right now, because I think they might have they might have started the process of that. But I know within the OEA, we we have it. And so um, alongside that, it also needs to be like resources, mm-hmm. because um, with teachers, you know, like we know what our past objectives are, but but we also get to choose what we want to um, use as a resource to teach that past objective. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes it might just be that you didn't know that the Watson go to Birmingham in 1963 was a good way to teach tolerance mm-hmm. or, you know, that's just an example. But, you know, we, we have to look at, you know, what what resources are available that help us to teach those passes of path objectives and then become comfortable with it. And so read it, you know, talk to others about it. They have, there's great books. Books are awesome. <laughs> yes, they are. Agreed. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. So, you yes, know, it is. right now, I mean, we're not with our students right now, but we will be soon. But um, one of the things that's on my mind is, how our students are internalizing what's happening right now. Um, and when I was teaching, in my experience, kids desperately want to talk about these things. Um, how, do you, how do you have these conversations with kids, especially you guys are elementary education? Um, how, do you, how do you broach this with your kiddos? Sharika, you want to start? I... Okay, go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Go ahead, Don. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh, I was I was waiting on Don because I felt like I was talking a lot. <laughs> no, you're good. <laughs> okay, so um, I think it just it goes back to what I was saying earlier about relationships, mm-hmm. and so people won't people won't accept 
necessarily what you have to say or what your actions are if they don't have relationship with you. Mm. And so um, it's kind of that old adage that we use that, you know, they they don't care about, you know, what you know until they know that you care, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And so when when we think about that and we become those safe people and those people that they have the relationships with, they're better able to accept from us when we talk about commonalities and we mm-hmm. talk about kindness mm-hmm. and, you know, we talk about, um, you know, things that help them to shift their paradigm about how they see other people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, first how they see themselves and then how they see other yeah. people. And then how, how do we come up with solutions? What about you, Don? How do you have those conversations with kindergartners? I think this is not something that just happens around Martin Luther King Day mm-hmm. or January or February. It happens from the first day they walk in my classroom. Yep. Exactly. Yes, everyone needs to be treated fairly, but that doesn't mean that everybody is treated the same because everybody's needs are different. And in my classroom, yes, I have built that relationship with my students. So when they come in my classroom, they're not afraid to sit, come in like, you know, when a storm happened the night before. Mm-hmm. Miss Brown, I didn't get any sleep last night because there was a big storm. Yes, mm-hmm. there was. When things are going on in our community, they're coming into my classroom and talking. And that's mm-hmm. the time that everybody sits down on the carpet. We have a class meeting. What happened yesterday? Mm-hmm. And talking about it and getting out in the air and but also talking about do you think that was right do you think that was wrong Mm -hmm. what happened to make that happen and just being able to have that open conversation even with five-year-olds is huge it's this beginning to sculpt that little mind that yes there are wrongs in the world how can we make it better how can we make things happen you know, I think about especially the age groups that you guys work with. Um, they have such a strong sense of sense of justice at that age, of people, mm-hmm, of I other. Do. I mean, other kids have done something wrong or they've been wronged. I mean, what a good time to talk about. I mean, that's I like as you guys were talking, it made me think about that. They just feel this in, innate sense of of justice, and they're sort of thinking about that right and wrong as as little kids. So if I'm mm-hmm. a if, if I'm a teacher who's nervous about having conversations with my students mm-hmm. what what's one suggestion that you would give me to to start I would say I would I would say maybe start with like a self-examination mm. um I think that you know right now you know the the People are are open and they're welcome to uh, the number of like books and things that are out there to be read um, that even deal with you know like white privilege that deal with um, how white teachers interact with um, black and brown students mm-hmm. um, that that deal with um, you know just just racial injustice and I think because people are ready and they're open for that and they're ready to read those things they need to read them but along with just reading not just reading them they need to be talking to other people about it mm-hmm. you know and that's where you know your your safe people kind of come into place and so as an educator I would start with myself 
And then when I start to look at what are the needs of my students, you know, um, that in turn becomes relationship again. You know, know where your students are coming from. Know the communities that they live in. Know, you know, um, things about them. Because if you're working with students that come from poverty levels, the the thing that is the most important to them is relationship. Yeah. They love to know that you're their cousin or you're their <laughs> auntie or you're this or you're that to them because that means that you belong to them. Yeah. That means, you know, that there there's something there that makes them yours, you know. And those bonds are vital, you know, not just in poverty, they're vital, you know, in upper class too but for them it is just everything to know that they're they have some sort of connection with you don do you have anything to add to that uh well i go back to i guess it's been about a year or two ago um when we had some other something like this in our community not in our community but in our in the United States of there was starting to be that uproar that you could feel. And I had one of my colleagues come to me and want to discuss. And it was, it, and we ended up having many conversations about, about race. And it was so interesting because I, my husband is black. Therefore my three children are black and having my conversation and what I see and my worries compared to my coworker who is white and white children and coming from a very privileged background and being able to have those conversations, Mm -hmm. I think is also what Sharika said, start with yourself. Yeah. But then children, I think, okay. Go ahead and stop it there. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, Communications team often tells me where when you take a, a breath to pause, that's where you should stop, Alicia. <laughs> well, I mean, I call it COVID brain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Isn't that it? <laughs> well, when we think about, I mean, right now, I mean, there's so much happening. I mean, just overlapping in the world right now, and it can feel very overwhelming. Um, and a lot of folks are, you know, kind of winding down from the very stressful end of the school year and ramping up for the fall. What is something that educators can do? What is what is an action that they can take um, to make themselves better and more able to be stewards of these issues with their kiddos? If I can make a list of things that I would say to do for an educator before they report back, for the upcoming school year, I would say that, um, number one, if you um, have black educators in your building, brown educators in your building, um, reach out to them. That Mm -hmm. was something that um, has really kind of lifted my heart a lot in that um, I've had um, white coworkers um, reach out to me and say, are you okay? you know, mm-hmm. and just check in with me and just, you know, just brief conversations and even, you know, asking the question, well, what can I do? Well, what kind of books can I read? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, that's a good place to kind of get some direction from. Um, the book that I'm reading right now is The New Jim Crow. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. uh, which is really good. Um, it's about mass incarceration and how that plays a role in how the system is set up in America to, um, you know, break black families, brown mm-hmm. families apart. Um, there's also another book called uh, White Fragility mm-hmm. and Why It's Hard for People to Talk About Racism. Mm-hmm. And then another book I have on my list is Push Out by um, Monique Morris. And it's about the criminalization of black girls. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a book about uh, microaggressions. And so I would say that those things would be on my list along with look at your lessons and think about the books and things that you have in your classroom. Mm-hmm. Do they depict the children that you have in your classroom? Do they mm-hmm. depict children that are not in your classroom, but they do have interactions with, Mm -hmm. you know, are they teaching social justice? Are they teaching, um, you know, children to look at having compassion for others and having empathy for others? Those types of things would be um, the top of my list as to what needs to be done before you go back to school. Dawn, what do you have to add to the checklist? Uh, I was writing notes as Sharika was talking, <laughs> and the first thing I have noticed on social media, so many other teachers and librarians posting children's books mm-hmm. that are great for mm-hmm. the subject area that cover in everything from race to different families, different types of families mm-hmm. to LGBTQ. So I have been screenshotting every time I see a book, making my list Mm. to give to my librarian to see what I don't have in my personal library. What can I get? And I've even thought about possibly writing a grant for these books because I know this is so huge right now. Mm -hmm. But then I was Mm -hmm. so excited. I I teach a lot when I'm teaching something to pull in a video to get their attention. Mm -hmm. And I was so excited to see that Sesame Street is going to be having something tomorrow. Oh, really? I think it's tomorrow. And so I'm anxious to see that and see how I can pull bits and pieces of that into my teaching. Mm -hmm. Well, great. Well, those are, you guys have an excellent checklist of, of actions that people can take right now. So we know that these conversations are difficult and they are critical um, and we can't we can't avoid them, right? We have to we have to keep going. Yeah, everybody can do something, mm-hmm. even if it's just putting one foot in front of the other mm. to keep moving, That's so right. that um, when when Black Lives Matter, when Brown Lives Matter, then all lives matter, and um, and I think it's important for us to acknowledge where we are as a society, where we are as individuals, Mm -hmm. and do something to make the change. Yes. Well, Can I add something? Yes, absolutely. I have been wanting to do something. And I've, my daughter has, my 19-year-old daughter has been to several protests, and I wanted to go, but I wanted to do something else, but I wasn't for sure. And in my town, we had a protest this earlier this week, and I happened to be coming home from an appointment, and they had walked a long distance. And I see these groups of people. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is what I can do. And I'm an Uber driver on the side because I'm a 
Oklahoma teacher. <laughs> and I didn't charge them, of course, but I had my big minivan and I just pulled over and I said, would you guys like a ride back to your car? Wasn't even thinking, oh my gosh, this isn't safe. But I knew exactly where they were coming from. Yeah. And getting and I took several groups of people back to their car and I had the best conversations with them. And then it realized, and then I realized when I was finishing, oh my gosh, I'm doing something. Mm. <laughs> and it wasn't and it was this pure spur of the moment. But again I was doing something. One That's step good. at a time. Yep. Yep. One Uber drive at a time. <laughs> so I, I wanted to add that, um, you know, the Human and uh, Civil Rights uh, Committee, um, or even on at the state level and even at the national level, like we were the forerunners in, you know, establishing what um, the white supremacy culture you know, looks like. And mm -hmm. that was a very tough conversation for us. And, and we had that a couple of years ago. We're very forward thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, if we could think about how um, in moving forward, how students of color are disciplined, oh, yes. you know, within the school yes. system, and then even thinking you know, beyond that, you know, like when we're addressing this like with, legislate, with legislators, mm -hmm. um, you know, thinking about how important it is to to keep fighting um, for public education and against vouchers, mm -hmm. because we know that 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 vouchers in themselves help to bring about segregation. Yes. Oh, and yeah. so we've got to keep we, we, we just got to keep fighting. And so we can't. I'm tired. <laughs> I'm, yeah. It's been two weeks and I'm exhausted. Yeah. But we've got to keep fighting. We, we, just, we just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Yes. And let's do it hand in hand and, and continue. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, so, exactly. so much for these conversations and, and, your, and sharing your, your stories with us. And thank you for what you do for students. All right, welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements, or whenever it is that you're listening to them. <laughs> so um, three things that I want to tell you. Remember, make sure you're registered to vote. Today, June 5th, is the last day to register to vote. Make a plan to vote, and vote. Mm -hmm. That's the most important thing. Yes. Vote. Whether it's absentee, which you have to register for by June 23rd, or you're going to vote in person on June 30th. Uh, make sure that you vote. Um, and I'm sure the candidates that are running right now would love for you to uh, engage with them on mm -hmm. some level because campaigning is so different right now. Yes. Um, number two, take the OEA's health and safety survey. It is a comeback safely survey. Um, we want to know... Uh, what your needs are so that we can best serve you. So please take that survey. Carrie, where can they find the survey? It's at okea.org slash come back safely. And you can take the survey right there on the page. And how many people took the survey while we were doing the podcast today? Four, 14 people have already taken it. And this <laughs> is so important. We've got response from all over the state, but it is, it's, we need to hear from every district. I mean, it's just so important. It is vital um, because you're the experts in the field. Yes. Our, our educators, our support prof professionals, our teachers, um, you're the ones that have to institute 
the distance learning plans. You're the ones that are going to be in the buildings with the students. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we want to hear what your needs are. Yep. And the last thing I want to offer to you is that make sure that you listened to the uh, the second segment with the Human and Civil Rights Committee for OEA. Um, we talked about uh, a checklist. That Sharika and Dawn offered a checklist of what steps you could take. And no matter what um, part of that you decide to take as your first step, take a step. Yep. And I, um, I have several of those books on my Goodreads list already. And I added the ones that I didn't have and some are reading. So I went by a bookstore the other day and um, they were sold out of one of the books that I wanted to order. They had to order the other book from another store. And so I am just waiting for them to come in. Good. Summer reading. Summer reading. All right. Well, thank you for joining us today on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Coppernall-Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review Fried Okra on Apple Podcasts. If you have another platform you'd like to see Fried Okra on, or if you have any other concerns, reach out to Fried Okra podcast at gmail.com fried okra podcast at gmail.com we hope you'll join us again next week until then keep fighting the good fight for public education